doing a series, uh, we call it Journey with Jesus. It was based on an idea that Andy Stanley, uh, we'd heard them do a year ago called 90, where they just took 90 days to follow the life of Jesus from Christmas to Easter. And so we said, well, that's a great idea. Let's, let's do something similar to that. Uh, this, the topic today is not part of that series, but uh, still there's just that, that idea of what does it look like to follow, what does it look like to follow Jesus? See, uh, in, our, in our culture, we're very familiar with a word called Christian, uh, but we're, we're, we're very vague on what that actually means. I could ask, how many of you call yourself a Christian? And there'd be many who would raise their hands. And then I'd ask you, why are you a Christian? And you maybe have very varying uh, uh, responses to that. It's actually uh, interesting. They just uh, reading last night, they were doing a, a poll on um, how we mislabel ourselves. That Christians, there was a number of people who in this poll said, yes, I'm a Christian, um, but didn't believe that the God of the Bible was the only God. They believed there was lots of options. And so they also, which was interesting to note, that they, they um, uh, found that a, gr- a great percentage of people who would call themselves atheists uh, didn't just, you know, believe in no gods at all, that, that uh, like 18% of the ones polled actually believed that there was a higher power somewhere. It just wasn't the God of the Bible. And so we, we have this thing where these words mean something different to everybody. And our, our heart and vision as Kingsway has always been to redefine what church means in Canada. That people, when they think of church, don't think of the typical things of, of boring or irrelevant. Uh, when they think of Christian, they, for, for some of you, maybe, maybe Christians have been an amazing part of your life. For, for many, though, the word Christian has carried some negative connotations. Those people have been judgmental, closed-minded. They, they hurt one of your family members. They've, they've judged somebody. And so this morning, part of our question is, it's just each and every one of us, are you following Jesus? Are you following Jesus? And, and the good news is we know what that looks like because of the eyewitnesses who were there and who, who were able to um, write down what they saw happen and what they heard Jesus say. Uh, and that has been preserved for us. It costs the lives of many people for it to be preserved for us, translated into our own language, and yet we still are able to study it in its original language. Uh, it's just pretty, pretty amazing. Sometimes we just take for granted that we have a Bible, but it's an, it's an incredible, incredible piece of literature. And so uh, today we're just going to look at some of the eyewitnesses' uh, accounts, and the baby is back. All right, so we're good. That's my big preamble. Let's just jump right in. Uh, have you ever had one of those moments where something just dawns on you? You're like, oh, it just like all of a sudden everything becomes clear. Uh, I was, I don't, I must be getting old real quick because my humor has changed uh, drastically. Uh, some of you are laughing. That's uh, that's probably not good. Um, uh, but I, I find certain jokes hilarious, and Beth is like, oh, my goodness, those are, like, so lame. It's like, you're, 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 like, finding dad jokes funny. Well, the other night, I'm sitting around with my kids and uh, around the table, and I was, like, just telling, telling all the jokes I could remember. And I, was, I told them this, the one about, you know, the two cannibals who are eating a clown, and the one says to the other and says, hey, does this taste funny to you? And, and so then the, uh, the, the kids are like, oh, we don't get it, Dad. And I'm like, oh, it's a clown. He tastes funny because he's a clown. And, and then uh, they're like, no. I was like, oh, man. And so then I tell another joke. And then halfway through that, all of a sudden, Finner's like, oh, I get it. It's funny because he's a clown. And, and I was like, oh, he, he finally gets it. I was like, but those moments, they happen in our lives are different things. Uh, this week, I had a chance to go to uh, see the Guelph Storm hockey game. Uh, Link and I got to go. We were sitting in, in box seats. Somebody had given us these tickets. And, and so normally we go, like, always try and find the cheap seats, you know, and can't see the game or whatever. These people gave us, like, box seats. And we get there, uh, and it's 
Like, I, we've never experienced this before. You walk in, and there's somebody who greets you. It's like, hey, can I take your jacket? And we're like, uh, sure. Uh, where are you taking it? And like, we're just going to put it here in the closet. And it was like, okay. And we're looking around. There's couches in there. And we're like, and then we see the food. And like, oh, that's all free. That's all included. And we're like, really? It's like, yeah, eat as much as you want. And we're like, wow, this is great. So we go and we get plates and take pizza and take wings. And then we go and sit down. And after this, in the second period, come back up out of the box seats and the lady's there, and she's like, help yourself to more. And so I put my plate down. We grab new plates. It's like, all oh, you can eat buffet. And we start, like, piling up more plates, and we sit down. And then in the third period, I'm like, I come back, and I'm like, there's just one plate left, one clean plate. And I look at it. I'm like, sorry, Link, I guess we're going to have to share. And so we load up that one plate, and the hostess is there. And she's like, oh, yeah, just don't be shy. You know, just take as much as you want. And I'm like, wow, they're so nice and so kind. And then I'm like, I wonder why there's only one plate. Oh, well, 3 o'clock in the morning, I snap out of a dead stupor sleep, and I'm like, I just realized something. It wasn't like, like an all-you-can-eat restaurant where you just take new plates every time. You're supposed to keep your plate for the whole time. And there's five people in there who all know each other and just don't know me. And we took their plates. And I was like, they got nothing because we took five plates. It was like, it just dawned on me. I was like, <gasps> so if you're listening from the RBC booth, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Those are those moments where something just dawns on you. You know, as parents, we kind of hope that that will happen to our kids, that they'll realize, you know, oh, mom and dad knew something. They're like, as you get, as you get older, how many of you realize, oh, my parents, when they said stuff, I get it now. I know what they mean now. So just real quick thing, Mother's Day's coming up sooner uh, than later, and so we said you should maybe uh, take a look at this gift. Dear mom, I get it now. Uh, would be a great one to, to give to her. Uh, and so for us, today we want to just look at some moments with the disciples um, where there was that, that moment of it dawning on them. Uh, it dawned on them later. They didn't understand things before, but it dawns on them later. And I, I want to talk about something I think affects a lot of us. It's this topic of doubt. Doubt. Do you ever have, you know, do you ever have doubts? Well, before we talk about you, uh, anybody know who the disciple is who doubted Jesus? Just shout it out. You want Thomas, the one who doubted Jesus, right? Uh, and so he's famous for doubting the resurrection of Jesus, and he was one of the ones who followed him all around. But do you, you ever have doubts? You know, if people ask me, you know, Mark, do you ever doubt your faith? I'm like, no, never. Never have any doubt. Why, do you guys? Sometimes? Of course we do. It's something, doubt's not, doubt's not something you plan either. It's not like you decide, hey, after church, we're all going to Hewitt's, and we're just going to doubt for a while. Like, you don't plan it. It's just, it's like you're just doing life, and all of a sudden it sneaks in there, and it's like this thought that just, that it, it wasn't there before, but it's there now. And if you've, you've, we've all experienced doubt. If you've ever received an email that said, hey, your uncle that you don't know from Nigeria died, and he's leaving you a million dollars, you know, you've had doubt, because you're like, I, I don't think that's true. You, it, doubt is just simply lacking confidence or considering something unlikely. But we've, many of us have had doubts in, our, in, in relational issues as well. You see some friends, and they're going through some stuff, and you're like, ugh, I don't, I don't know if their marriage is going to make it. You know, or you, you, you have a, somebody who's got a medical condition. Maybe it's you, and you're just like, I don't know if it's going to work out. I don't, I don't know if, it's, if, if they're going to recover. You know, someone's struggling with an addiction. Ah, I don't know. I don't know if they're ever going to get past that. I don't know if it's ever going to get better. And we have, we have doubts that just creep into our minds. And for some, there's doubts you have about Christianity. You have doubts about God in general. Got some texts this week that, uh, and phone calls, and a lot of people going through a lot of difficult stuff. Um, this week I had somebody who's just, 
life has just gone just south for him. In, 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 in just one thing after another, just bad, bad, bad to worse. And he's like, you know, I asked him, is there anything I can do? You know, and he's like, well, there's only one person who can do something, and he isn't doing anything, so I don't expect you to do anything. He's not a follower of Jesus, somebody that I'm reaching out to, but his thought is, you know, if, if he's going through difficulty, well, then there, there's, there, there can't be a God that cares. And I don't think that's uncommon. I think lots of people, that's one of the reasons why we doubt, is you go through something difficult, and it begins to, to, to process in your mind, ha, if it's this tough, you know, does God, does God really care? Does God even exist? Why didn't God stop that? Why didn't something different happen? Why, why is God, is this his plan? Why is he allowing this stuff? And these things start to, to fester in your mind. Another reason we doubt, I think, is just conflicting information. Uh, I love to just go online. I, I'm fascinated by... Um, by the reasons why people leave Christianity, uh, why young people, when they go to school uh, uh, and to university and hear these thoughts about what, what it's, uh, you know, that Genesis can't be scientific, so the Bible must be totally false, or, you know, there's no proof that Jesus existed, or these things that, they, that people say with such conviction that our teens just like, oh, okay, I believe that, and doubt sneaks in, and like, I, I, don't, I don't know that I believe, I don't know I believe this faith thing, this God thing anymore. Talking with a teen last week, and they're just like they're just they're born and raised in a Christian family, but they're 14 years old, and like I don't know if I believe all this stuff. Working it through, what what do I believe about all of this? Well, the good news, if you can call it good news, is that the answer to the question which disciple doubted Jesus is not just Thomas; it's all of them. All of them, not just the 12. There was many people who followed Jesus. For those of you who were here last night, you knew the answer. It's right. Um, all of them, all of them at times doubted Jesus, which puts us in good company if we find ourselves in doubt. And so the series that, uh, that we're in, it's not in chronological order, so we're going to go a little backwards from where we were last week. But I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 14. If you have your Bible, I'm not just saying stuff that I think. I want you to, to follow along with us. But be, uh, Matthew 14, Matthew is an eyewitness follower of Jesus. He writes down what, what happened, and he starts Matthew 14 by talking about a guy who we saw earlier. His name's John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the guy we talked about this whole series. At the very beginning of the whole series, he was the one, and let's just see, maybe. This was 10 weeks ago, but anybody remember John's famous word? It was, who's that? Look. His famous word was, look. Look. He wasn't, John wasn't saying, John was announcing Jesus to the, to the world, and he said, look, there's, there he is. There's the, there's the guy. Not, hey, you know, hey, I wrote, this, I wrote these stories. Here, you guys want to read these and see if you believe them? He's like, nah, there's the guy. There is the, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John chapter 1, verse 29, we started 10 weeks ago. He said this, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said to his followers, he says, look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one. <laughs> He's the one that I was talking about when I said a man's coming after me who is far greater than I am. For he existed long before me. John the Baptist is like, <laughs> we've been waiting for the Messiah. We've been waiting for the one from God to come. This is him. This is him. He's convinced that that's who, who the Messiah is. And that's where we started this whole thing and said, what does it look like to follow Jesus from that point on? Well, we want to catch up with where, what happened in the life of John. John was a bit, um, well, Matthew 11, he, he writes a little bit of John's story. Matthew 11, verse 2, it says this, John the Baptist, who was in prison, John the Baptist finds himself in prison. The guy who's like, hey, this is, it's Jesus. He's the one. He finds himself in prison. And, and the reason he's in prison, John was like a bit of a mouthpiece. Uh, he, 
when people came to him at the river, the crowds came to get baptized, and then the religious Pharisees came down, and they were like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, you brood of snakes, what are you doing? And it's like, that's quite the, uh, I don't know, try that sometime, see what happens at work, you know? Call, you brood of snakes, like, he, 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 he ticks off these people, they don't like him. Well, then he goes before King Herod. King Herod was, um, was the king of that area. His brother was a king of another area. His name was Philip. And Herod liked Philip's wife, and she liked him back. And so Herod, uh, Philip's wife left Philip and, and started hanging out with Herod instead, moved in with him. Well, John, standing up for what's right, goes and tells off the king and says, this isn't right. You guys shouldn't be living together. Well, and Herod doesn't like it, but his, wife doesn't like it, his new wife doesn't like it more. And so she's like, do something about him. And like a good husband, he does something. He puts John in prison, his own prison. He puts John in the prison that his guards run. So you can guess that it's not real good for John. The treatment's not real good for John. He's been sitting there for between one to two years. See, we think about prison, three square meals a day. Not like that then. Here he is sitting rotting in a hole for, for a year and a half. And, and, and word comes to John that, that, that Jesus, he's the real deal. Like, stuff's happening. That guy, there's stuff happening. And so he says to his fellows, he says to his followers, he's like, guys, can you go, can you go check? He's like, if he's the real deal, like, if my cousin is, is really God, if he's really the Savior, if he's the Messiah, if he's the one who's going to rescue us, he, how come he hasn't rescued me yet? Go, just go check and go ask him, are you the one? I know I said before, hey, he's the one. I, I believed it then, but I'm not sure. Go ask him, are you the one or should we keep looking for someone else to trust in? His followers get up and they go and they find Jesus and they say, Jesus, John sent us. He said, hey, are, are you really the one? John's in prison. He wonders, are you really the one or should he keep looking for someone else to put his trust in? And Jesus does something interesting. Luke tells us that as he was there, he began healing people and he began causing the, the blind to see. And so Jesus says this, to John's followers, he says, Jesus told them, okay, yeah, go back to John and tell him, tell him this. Tell him what you've heard and, and what you've just seen. And, and here's what he says. Verse 5, the blind see. It's like you just saw it. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life. And Jesus isn't just saying, he's not just giving a list of, hey, here's all the things I just did. It's way bigger than that. See, the words he's quoting were, are actually words that were written long before. There's a man named Isaiah who said, there's a Messiah coming. And in three chapters of Isaiah, he writes, he prophesies. He says, when the Messiah comes, the blind are going to see. The lame are going to walk. The lepers are going to be cured. The deaf are going to hear. The dead are going to be raised to life. And in, in Isaiah 61, he says, the good news will be preached to the poor. He says, go tell John. See, John's dad was a priest, and John's dad would have taught him about Isaiah. John probably would have had it memorized. And as he's sitting in his cell, they come back and they tell him, hey, here's the words that he said. Here's the words that he said. And he's like, okay, so what else did he, what else did he say? Because Isaiah 61, John's listening as he says this. Isaiah 61 says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. That's the verse that Jesus is quoting. He's basically saying, John, you pointed out once and said, hey, look, there he is. I'm telling you now, look, what Isaiah prophesied, it's happening. You wonder if I'm the one? <laughs> look, look at, look at what's happening. I, I'm the one. And John's sitting in prison and he hears this, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And John would be sitting there saying, okay, well, what about the rest of the verse? What about the rest? Because the rest goes like this. 
He sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. And his followers like, well, he didn't go that far. He, he kind of stopped after gospel will be preached to the poor. And John's like, what? As, Jesus, as the two disciples were talking to Jesus, he's like, hey, go tell John this stuff. And as they're leaving, he says, wait, hey, wait, one more thing. Tell John one more thing. He says, go tell him, go tell him that blessed are the ones who are not offended because of me. Blessed are the ones who don't turn away because of me. I know he's sitting in a prison cell. I know he wants that verse to be that the prisoners are going to be freed. But just tell John, blessed are the ones, blessed are the ones who don't turn away or aren't offended because of me. So what happens? They go back and they, they tell John, Blessed are those who, are don't, who aren't offended or don't turn away because of me. What, what does that mean? That word turn away, that word offended, it's, it's this word called scandalizo. Scandalizo is actually like a, a hunter's term. It's a trapper's term. They would set these deadfall traps um, back in the day with the rock and the stick. And that little bait stick thing that goes across says bait stick. That word is scandalizo. That's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, don't take the bait because something worse is coming. Don't, don't let your doubt cause you to turn you away from me because something worse is coming. He said, don't, don't, don't allow your situation, what you're going through, to change your view or, or your belief in who I am. What was he saying? He, you know, the, the other translation of it is this. It says, to cause a person to distrust and desert one whom he ought to obey and trust. He's saying, John, happy are the ones, happy are the ones who don't turn away who, who don't distrust or desert the one they ought to obey, ought to obey and trust. Don't take the bait. Don't, don't doubt who I am just because where, of where you are. That's a great thought for so many of us. You find yourself in a difficult spot. And to be fair, John got himself into this spot. You know, so many times we have those thoughts where it's like we do things and get ourselves into places where we're like, oh, my life's in trouble. Time to pray. God, I know we haven't been talking for a long time, but now, now, God, you got to do something. You got to get me out of here. God, my marriage is in trouble. You just got to fix her, you know, and it will all be fine if you just fix her. God, God, you know, financially, I know, I know I spent way more than I should have on Visa, but God, can you just bail me out? Make my income tax triple. God, I trust you. You know, and sometimes what we don't realize is that our situation doesn't change who he is. We're tempted to doubt. We're like, ah, is it really true? Because it's not going the way I thought. He didn't answer the way I thought. Is it really true? Is it, is it really real? Is it still worth following Jesus? If he cared, he would fix this if he cared. And, and, and that's what Jesus is saying to John. John, listen. <laughs> blessed are the ones, blessed are the ones who don't, who, who don't turn away because of me. John, if, you, if, you don't, if I don't come and get you out of prison, don't doubt who I am. Don't doubt my goodness still. Don't doubt who I am. I am who, who you thought I was. And there's one thought. There's more to this life than this life. See, we're so tempted, so tempted to kind of turn away when things are going really, really tough. And he's saying there's more to this life than just this life. Don't take the bait to toss it all away. Don't, don't allow your doubt to take you out in that moment. Well, Matthew tells us in chapter 14 the rest of John's story. 
Here's John sitting in prison. He's like, okay, okay, I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust who you are. Well, Matthew tells us that a, a, a few chapters later that Herod has a big party. Herod's got a big party. There's lots of, there's lots of dancing. There's lots of drinking. His stepdaughter comes into the room, um, Herodias' uh, daughter, and she starts dancing. And she must have done some dance, but it, it was enough that Herod loses his mind. Um, he actually says, like, wow, that dance was so awesome. I vow to give you anything you want, young lady. He's like, I'll give, you can ask anything up to half my kingdom. That is some dance. Well, here she says, okay, well, I better go check with my mom first. And she runs and asks her mom, hey, mom, I could have like half the kingdom. What should I ask for, like a golden chariot or whatever? She's like, no, ask for John's head on a platter. Let's be done with this guy for good. Here's John sitting in prison having no idea. Here's a king who's like, oh, I didn't expect that. Here's all my guests. They're going to say, okay. And that is how it ends for John. They go and they behead him in prison. And his disciples come and they take his body and they go and they tell Jesus what had happened to John. And Jesus, moved with grief, goes off to be on his own at that moment. And as he's trying to go off to be by himself, who shows up? 5,000 people. Like, Jesus, hey, I know you look a little sad, but I got a problem. Hey, I, can, you, can you heal me? Can you heal, heal my brother? And, and I, can we skip to the front of the line because we got stuff to do? You know, can, can you help us out here? And I love Jesus' response. He's hurting. He just lost his friend. What does he do? He just says he's moved by compassion. He sees the crowd. He begins to heal them all. He begins to teach them. And they all sit down. And finally, the disciples come and they're like, hey, Jesus, is getting late. Like, can we send them all home? Because it's time for dinner. And he's like, well, <laughs> he's like, you feed them. And it's that famous story where Jesus feeds 5,000 people with just one kid's lunch. The disciples get to see this amazing, amazing, miraculous thing. And so then the disciples after that, it's all over. Jesus sends them, the, the people home. He sends the disciples across the sea because he's still going to go and spend some time praying, uh, just dealing with this, this grief. And the disciples set, head off across the Sea of Galilee. And it says a storm comes up. And as the storm comes up, they know they're in trouble. They're rowing like crazy. They're like, I don't think we're going to make it. And then all of a sudden it says they see, they see a ghost is what they think. And they're like... Who fell out of the boat? You know, somebody died. We, we're going to be next. We're all going down. It's that famous story where they realize it's Jesus. And Peter says to him, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come out of the boat and come walking to you. And Jesus is like, okay, Peter, come along. Come walking to me. And Peter gets out of the boat and he, and he walks. Matthew tells it like this, Matthew 14, verse 30. But when Peter saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink and he shouted, Lord, save me. When Peter's walking on the, on the water, which is amazing, he's, he begins to look around at everything going on around him. And what happens? Doubt just begins. He, he hadn't planned to doubt. He was, he was going to do something awesome. He steps out of the water, onto the water, and as he's walking, all of a sudden, there they are. The thought's like, ooh, these waves are bigger than I thought they were. Whoa, science would say that this is not possible. You know, uh, maybe I misheard Jesus. Maybe he said, hey, stay in the boat, not, not come out of the boat. Where is that boat anyways? How far back? Maybe if I make a run for it, he like, begins to sink. Jesus, save me. What a great simple prayer. Jesus, save me. I love Jesus' response. He walks up and is like, Peter, you doubt, now you're out. All right, fellas, Peter's feeding the fishies tonight. We are now going to need another disciple. Anybody got a buddy that would like to join the 12? See, sometimes that's what we think it's going to go, right? If we, if we doubt, we think, yeah, that's what's done for us. Jesus doesn't kick you out when you have doubts. 
It's what as he does, he immediately reaches out and he grabs him. He grabs him. And he says, you know what? You have so little trust. We use that word faith, but that, we misunderstand that word. He's saying, you have so little trust in me. You got a little, but you just got too little. He says, why did you doubt me? Peter, you trusted me, and then you doubted me, then you trusted me, and then you doubt me. This has been going on for a while with Peter. He uses this word, you, you, the scandalizo. You're turning away, and you're turning back. You're wavering, Peter. Peter, you're waffling. And I, I, I like to think that that's probably what happened after that, is those fishermen were like, hey, he's waffling. Hey, Peter, that's your new nickname. Hey, waffle, how you doing? You know, as they're rowing the next day, do you like waffles? Yeah, we like waffles. Do you like pancakes? Yeah, we like pancakes. Hey, Peter, you like waffles? Uh, and, and, and Peter's, he's, and you're like, that didn't happen. Have you ever hung out with fishermen? I have. Even a couple weeks ago, they're still reminding me that it's not rocket science. Something I said years ago, they never let you live it down. See, these guys, they're, they're here with Peter, and they just know him. Hey, he's the one who's waffling. But the interesting thing about Peter Peter's in trouble because he trusted Jesus. And for some of you, that's the exact same spot. You felt God's told me to do something. And, and, and yet it's not as easy as you thought it was going to be. He, he, maybe you feel like God's spoken to you and said, you know what? Your marriage is tough, but you've got to stay in it. And you're like, okay, I'll stay in it. But I thought it was going to be easy. You know, or maybe you felt like, hey, I, I believe God told me to, to fund this, this event or start this new business or whatever, whatever it was. God, I'm going to trust you, and oh, it's not easy. And you're going to wonder, God, was that you? I don't know if that was you. I kind of doubt, I kind of doubt whether that was you or not. Why? Because we think it's going to be easy, but Peter just simply says, listen, just because you trust Jesus' words and take him at his word doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And doubt tries to sneak in and take you out. But he says, why are you doubting? Why are you doubting? You can trust me. You can trust me. It says that John, John actually tells us what happens after this in his, his account. The very next day, so these guys, they make it across the sea after Peter's little trust lesson. They make it across the sea to the other side. They wake up the next morning and on the other side of the lake, so do 5,000 people. They wake up the next morning like, we're hungry. You know, Jesus fed us dinner. Maybe he'll feed us breakfast. Let's go find Jesus. And they look and they can't find him. And then they look across the, the lake because it's not that, it's not terribly far the, 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 from the spot where they were. They look across and like, oh, I see the boats. Maybe he's there. And so they all, 5,000 people all wander around to the other side. And they come and they find Jesus. And they're like, hey, Jesus, how did you get here? And, and here's what Jesus says. He's just like right past the small talk. John chapter 6, he replies, I tell you the truth. You didn't want to be with me. Be uh, he says, you want to be with me because I fed you. You don't want to hang out with me because you understand the miraculous sign that I did on the other side. He's like, you, you just want to be with me for what I can do for you, not for who I really am. And that's a big wake-up call for a lot of us as Jesus followers in North America. So often we're, we're good to be Christians as long as God's going to do what we want him to do. We just want God, I just want you to do what I want you to do. He's saying, listen, it's much bigger than that. Follow me for who I am. Follow me for who I am. He says, you don't understand. He says, he says you don't understand that miraculous sign. Verse 27, he says, you're so concerned about perishable things like food. He says, you're so concerned about bread. But he says, but you should spend your energy seeking what? Eternal life. Seeking something that's much more important that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. And they're like, what do, what do you mean we should, be, we should be seeking you? And then he says, you know what? I'm actually, um, 
the bread of life that you need. He says in the next couple of verses, verse 35, he replies to them, you're so concerned about bread. He says, but I'm actually the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. Verse 36, he says, but you haven't believed me even though you've seen me. And they're sitting there like, Ethel, what's he saying? He's like, he thinks he's the bread. What, what, what do you mean? You think we're supposed to come and eat you? We don't do that in this part of the world. Like, what, what are you, we don't understand what you're saying. And sometimes that's the big thing for people. Like, God, I, I don't really understand. I don't really understand all of this. For some, that's your hindrance to following Christ. You're like, I don't, I don't understand all of it. I don't understand all of it. So I, mm, I don't know. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can put my trust in Jesus. For some of you, like, oh, I don't really understand all this. So, ha, I don't, you know, science, Genesis, I, I don't fully understand. I don't know if I can keep, I don't know if I can keep following. I got, I got, I got doubts. So like, what do you mean, Jesus? Are we supposed to like eat you? And here's what Jesus says, verse 53. He keeps trying to explain it to them. And then it says, so Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. You're like, what? That's in the Bible? I know, it sounds weird, right? Well, they're sitting there thinking, this is weird. Verse 54, he says, But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise that person at the last day. Verse 36, At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Scandalizo, they're like, <laughs> We've had enough, you know. Dinner was great, but the encore is not for us. We love the bread, not so much into the blood. You know, most of these people had no idea what Jesus meant when he said it, including his disciples. They're sitting there. They don't understand. Most of what Jesus said, they didn't understand it till after he rose from the dead. He says the disciples are sitting there and they're just watching. They're like, we were popular. And now there go the crowds. Jesus, why do you have to say stuff like that? And Jesus says to them, verse, in the next verse, he says, uh, verse 67, so Jesus turned to the 12 and he said to them, hey, are you guys going to leave too? You guys having some doubts about me too? You, you going to follow the crowd? I've learned from experience that that's not always a great thing. After the hockey game the other night, we were trying to find our parking spot. And so we, as we were walking out, all this, the crowd is going down this way. And this one guy says to me, hey, this is the best way out. I'm like, all right, sweet. So we go down, down the stairwell between two little stairwells. You got to go like this to get through. And then you walk into these doors and there's like this big open walkway. It's like this through this mall and we're walking and about halfway through. All of a sudden we're saying, Link, I don't remember coming this way. And he's like, no, we didn't come this way. I'm like, well, carry on. And so we just keep walking and we get to the very end and we get out the doors and we look around and we're like, we're in Guelph. We have no idea where we are. I'm like, I, this is, none of this is familiar to me at all. And so then uh, we're like, well, we'll just go back. And we go back and the doors are locked. And we're like, because the mall is closed. And we're like, and then we see a few more hockey fans come out. I was like, oh, sweet. And they open the door and we go through and we, we backtrack all the way. Well, it took us like 20 minutes to find our vehicle. And I think that that happens to a lot of people. We follow the crowd. We follow popular opinion and we end up lost. And Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to follow my voice. Are you guys, are you going to decide uh, to leave? And, and here's, here's the, the main point of this morning. Because when doubt comes in, it's coming in to try and take you out. Doubt's residing in your mind, trying to stay there as long as it can until it can change the way you think about things. And Simon Peter even though he was in that spot where he's like, ah, I'm not really sure, Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about, all this stuff. I'm not really sure. 
I'm not sure if it's all true. I don't know if it's worth it to keep following you. This, is, this isn't quite how we thought it was going to go. And if you're a teenager here this morning, young person, I, I want to, you may go through these things. You're like, oh, I was kind of raised in church, but, you know, I go to high school and I say I'm a Christian, and oh, they kind of, they, that's not real cool. You know, people don't love it you know, so much that, that I'm a Christian. I'm like, I'm not sure if it's worth it. I'm not sure if it's worth it. And what happens is when you're not sure it's worth it, you start going to the other side and thinking, oh, well, I don't know if it's true. I, I can find ways to make sure that it isn't true. And I just would caution you with this thought, that you ask the same, P, same questions that Peter asked, that you come to the same spot, that, that if you say, hey, I don't think Christianity is for me, I don't think following Christ is for me, that you know what your other option is. Peter said this, he said to them, he said, Lord, to whom would we go? He says, you have the words that give eternal life. Where else would we go? We don't understand all the stuff you're saying yet, but where else would we go? No one else is offering us eternal life. No one else has given us the, the chance of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? And I would encourage you to, 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 know, <laughs> to know before you go. You might wonder about things, but I encourage you to know before you go. Because the thing is, yeah, I don't want to serve God. I'm, I'm okay with that. The other option is you're going to serve someone. And you probably it's going to be you. You'd be like, yeah, I'm just going to be my own God. You don't say it that way. But you're like, I, I can make my own decisions. I'll make my, I can find happiness for myself. I don't, I don't know about this whole, I don't understand even all that stuff. I'm just going to go do my, kind of do my own thing. <laughs> As so many adults could tell you, could attest to, <laughs> That when you do your own thing and when you serve you, you come to a place in your life at some point where you realize, I'm not God enough to fix what I've messed up. I'm not. I would want to just challenge and encourage you that Jesus is worth following and to, to ask those questions. Don't worry about it if you have doubts or not. Let those doubts spur you on to asking these questions. Where else would I go? We didn't understand. Closing this morning, the disciples did not understand. They did not understand in that moment. They sat there, two groups of disciples, one here and one here. We don't understand, and we don't understand. This group said, we don't understand, so we're out of here. Our doubt's taken us out. This group's like, we don't understand, Jesus, but we trust you. We trust you. It's a powerful thought because this whole eating the flesh and drinking the blood, because they stuck around with Jesus, it became a little bit clearer on the last night they were together. Jesus sat at a table with them and said, hey, fellas, he passed them a, a loaf of bread. He said, guys, this is my body broken for you. Eat this bread. Do it in remembrance of me, of what I'm going to do for the, you and for the world. Then he handed a cup and said, this is my, this is my blood of the new covenant. It wasn't, it wasn't actual blood. It wasn't actual flesh. He's saying, I want you to identify with me for what I'm about to do for the whole world. And they were like, we don't know what you're going to do, but okay. And it, later on, it became incredibly clear to them when Jesus died, and they saw the Lamb of God slain for the sin of the world. And they saw him raised from the dead and they realized this was for us. It was his body broken for us. That's what he meant when he said, eat my flesh, drink my blood, identify with me. It was what he did for us. They had no idea when they were sitting on that shore what hung in the balance or who hung in the balance of that decision. And I would say the same to you. Many of you don't realize what or who hangs in the balance of your decision to trust Jesus when doubt begins to flood your mind. When doubt comes to take you out, <laughs> there's people, there's lives on the other side of whether you decide to trust him or not. 
Matthew tells us later that Jesus asked Peter a few, few, few chapters later. I don't know how much time. He says, hey, Peter, who do, you, who do you think I am? He says, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You're the Son of the living God. And he says, Peter, you're not a waffle anymore. You're a rock. You got it, Peter. That is who I am. Hold on to that confidence. And he's like, I knew it. I know who you are. I trust in you. And we think, you know, wow, we just have to make that one, that one moment of trust. For those of you who know the story of Peter, later on, he falls into that spot of where he doesn't trust Jesus anymore. He has doubts again when Jesus is crucified. He doesn't know, but afterwards, after Jesus rose from the dead, man, this guy just knew. He knew. Everything made more sense after Jesus rose from the dead. We started with that idea of Thomas. Thomas was one who said, you know what? I can't believe that Jesus rose from the dead unless I can put my hand, I can put my fingers in the holes in his hands, unless I can put my hand in his side. He says, the other, all the other disciples saw Jesus alive afterwards. That's why they wrote all this stuff. And Thomas was like, well, I didn't see it, so I don't believe it. And for many, that's the case. He's like, I gotta, I gotta see some proof. I gotta see some evidence. And, and I love Jesus' response. Because Jesus' response to Thomas wasn't, Thomas, you doubted? You're out. You're out. He says this, John chapter 20, last verse. He says, eight days later, the disciples were together again. This time Thomas was with them. Jesus had appeared to them eight days earlier. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them, and he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, hey, Thomas, come here, buddy. I know you don't believe that, that I'm alive, but here, it's a real hand. Put your finger in, put your finger in the hole. Here's my side. It's a real, it's a real body. It's a real gap. You want to you touch it? You want to see the scar? You want to touch the scar? It's real. I love how he just made that possible for Thomas. But he says something to Thomas and says something powerful to us. He says, Thomas, you believe because you've seen. You trust because you've seen. You've seen the evidence. But he says, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Blessed are the ones who are going to trust in me even though they haven't seen me. And this room is full of those kind of people this morning. Blessed are the ones who trust even though they don't see. Blessed are the ones who are sitting in situations like, ah, I know I got myself into here, but God help. Blessed are the ones who are like, oh, I keep hearing these other things that make me doubt whether faith in Christianity or following Jesus is real or worth it. But I'm going to keep trusting. I'm going to keep trusting. He says, blessed are those. And why do they trust? And you're like, maybe you ask the same thing. John finishes it by saying this. He writes this to you. He writes this to the reader saying the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. All the stuff that I wrote, he says, there's tons more, but I wrote these for this reason. These are written so that you, so that you in this room this morning, these were written, what we looked at this morning were written so that you might continue to trust that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is who he says he is. That's why they wrote all this, so that you could, so you could hear it, so you could trust. And it says this, not just so you can trust, so like say, hey, okay, I trust that Jesus is the Messiah but trusting that he's the son of God and that by believing in him, by trusting in him, by putting your trust in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Man, powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. For those who've experienced the life of Christ, oh man, you know it. You know the life-changing, miraculous power of those words. So the question this morning, you have doubts? You ever have doubts? Like, yeah, you know, got baptized, I'm gonna follow Jesus. And then sometimes you kind of doubt. Got yourself in a situation you're like, oh, God, I don't know if it's going to work out. Can I tell you that situation does not change who he is? It does not. You can count on that. Maybe, you're, maybe it doesn't make sense yet, but don't, don't allow doubt to take you out. Maybe you're trusting what God said. 
You're like, God, you told me to do this. You can trust that even though it hasn't worked out yet, that he is good and that he loves you completely. Because you know what? So often we're like, God, what have you done for me lately? And he's saying, why don't you turn around and see what I've done for you before? We're like, God, I need this one thing. And he's like, listen, I've already shown you how much I care about you. I'm willing to give my life for you. You can be confident of the fact that even though you don't understand what's going on right now, he loves you. Maybe you hear other information all the time, like, I don't know, people at work, they don't believe in God. They think I'm crazy for going to church on Sunday. They think I'm stupid because I give my money to that place even. Like, what is wrong with you? (laughs) That information doesn't change the fact that a man died and rose from the dead. That that man said that his death would be the penalty price for my sin, for your sin. That does not change the fact and that he rose from the dead, just punctuated everything that he said. No, no, nobody does that. The fact that he rose from the dead proves that he can give eternal life like he said he could. And you know, this morning, when I begin to doubt, I realize often when doubt fills my mind, it's one of two reasons. It's one, it's because stuff that I'm going through, I'm focused too much on the stuff I'm going through. Or B, I forget what my faith is based on. My faith is not based on knowing all the right answers or all that stuff. My faith is simply based on the fact that a man named Jesus died and rose from the dead, that he died for my sins, and he rose for eternal life for me, and he can do the same for you. He's worth trusting. He's the only one worth trusting. And this morning, if you haven't put your faith in Christ, I would encourage you to. Maybe like, I don't have all the answers. I'd encourage you to take one step. Allow him to lead you in that journey. And for those who are followers of Jesus, I know you're not leaving here this morning planning to have doubts, but I'd encourage you to plan to have a plan to combat doubt. Paul said it, take up the shield of faith. That shield of faith is like a weapon that I am resolved to trust in God no matter what, no matter what comes my way. The enemy throws darts of doubt into your mind. You're like, no, I trust, I trust, I trust. God, it does, I don't know. It doesn't look like it on the outside. I don't know if it's all working out, but I, but I trust you because I believe who you, you are, who you said you are. I believe you can do what you said you can do. I can't wait to hear the stories of the people who walked that out. Peter had no idea. We have people who named their kids after him. We have people who built cathedrals because of him, because of those moments. Who knows what will happen because of your simple trust in him. We pray. God, thanks for this morning. Thanks for the opportunity to be together, study your word. (laughs) Thanks Thanks for just how alive and powerful it is. How it just relates to us, where where we're we're really at and what we're going through. Father, thanks for not tossing us out when we have doubts. Thank you for doing in our lives and leading us and directing us to truth. Lord, I just pray this morning that you would do what I can't, that your word has been spoken, that you would cause us to just dig deep into the hearts of people, that you translate it into their situations for them, that they would have a sense as they walk out from this place that they're walking out with you, that that whatever they're facing, that they can trust you through that. We thank you for it, Father. Thank you for uh, the victories that are yet to come. They will be the words on our lips of praise to you for, for who you are, how amazing you are. Love you, Father. Thank you for loving us. In your name we pray. Amen.